0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash thedirectorscut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of Chilean director Pablo Larraín's new film, Neruda, which was screened as part of our Global Cinema Series. The Global Cinema Series aims to spotlight landmark foreign films for DGA members and guests by presenting screenings of contemporary, classic, and independent films, as well as conversations with their directors. Neruda chronicles the 1948 manhunt for the Nobel Prize-winning poet and politician Pablo Neruda who was forced underground and into a dangerous game of cat and mouse with an ambitious police inspector when communism is outlawed in Chile and he is ousted from his senate seat. The film premiered in the director's fortnight section at the 2016 Cannes Film Festival and is Chile's official submission to the Academy Awards. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theatre in New York, Mr. Larraín discussed the challenges of making Neruda with director Victoria Hochberg Listen on for highlights from their conversation, including Mr. Lara'in's interest in depicting political defiance on film, how film noir influenced his take on Neruda's life story, and how some of the controlled accidents that took place during the shoot ended up reshaping the film.
1: Right, so this is clearly not <clears throat> a standard biopic. <laughs> so can you take us back to the decision to create a fictional character? How did you reach that decision and why?
2: Um, you know, it's funny, we we talk about Bob Dylan before. Because one of the things that I really wanna see is this, the speech it's gonna give. Because when Neruda got the novel he went on stage and and he read this incredible speech that you could find online and he got the award in early 70s so like and the movie takes place in between 1947 and 1949 so nearly what 25 years after and he would refer very extensively about this period of his life in the speech and basically through two ideas. One is that he learned what fraternity was because he was helped by people he never met and he didn't know who he was while he was escaping. And the other one is that he said that he didn't know if he wrote this, lived this, or dreamt this. And that opens the doors to us to sort of do what you just saw, which is... We like to call it an anti biopic. And, and, and yeah, like we start with the like more sort of standard, uh, biopic. And, and then slowly, um, Guillermo, uh, the, the writer who wrote this incredible script, he sort of came up one day, I remember, I'm gonna forget, he said, we have to do it from the cup and, and take that point of view. And, And then slowly we discovered that it was like natural to the story that he would be like a fictional character. And it's very hard to, it's very nice to talk about this because you just saw the film. But when you do press, it's very hard to talk about it because you just not only spoil the film, Mm. but you talk about something that's very hard to understand, you know, when you just talk about it. But it's basically the logic of, of fiction and. And there's also like a little key here. I don't know if you're aware m- more or less about Latin American literature, but there's a, an Argentinian writer called Jorge Luis Borges who um, did a very wonderful work over fiction and fiction and sort of the meta the, the, the meta limits on, on fiction. And he and another guy, another writer, sorry, um, who was Bioy Cáceres, they both together... Um, had a published company who had published uh, crime novels, which were the novels that Neruda was reading back then and that we used in the fiction as the the clues that he would lift the cap. So it's very connected to also to that writer who inspires us very much.
1: Well, actually... That leads me to my next question. We like to think that Hollywood invented film noir, and especially the noir detective, which Oscar Peluchino, Gael Garcia Bernal play so well. So your film also uses the noir technique of voiceover, like the William Holden Sunset Boulevard, you know, how did I get here, my face down in a swimming pool opening. Can you talk about your approach here with these noir elements? And why you thought this would be fun to do in a story about Neruda?
2: Sure. What 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 happens is that I I think that what's so interesting and and amazing in in, in those movies and, and that the, the period of, of the American history um, is that they were like uh, I'm thinking on Hitchcock also okay. a lot and and I don't know when I see those films it it. it it feels to me that they were like these old illusionists and like old magicians. So that's like somebody's like pulling a rope, another guy's like moving the light, and somebody's just putting smoke, and there's like a black curtain. It's like everything is there. It's very sort of handcrafted. And they create an illusion and and with very simple elements, and they play with it. And at some point, the lights come up, and you say, oh, I'm at the cinema, you know, and, and they create so such a beautiful things where, with very sort of basic elements, and and we went out and we uh, shot a lot of backgrounds that later we project over yeah. the cars, right. and and we did uh, mud painting. There's a lot of mud painting in here. Like there's some three D, but uh, there's a lot of things that you do by hand. That people were like artists were actually painting the backgrounds that we had on. On the background, some of them were like made with a green screen and some of them were like made live. So we would like have windows and the background was like a painting, you know, and like and like artists would go and paint a very big oil and, and, and we would put it outside of the window just for the fun. And then the guys from, you know, special visual effects will show up and say, I can do it in a minute. I just put it in a green screen and uh, I'll make it. it but it's not the same no. you know it's like and it it would and even if the audience will see the same result we're making the movie right. and we want to have fun making it right. too so and and it's it's beautiful and it's something that we sort of we want to refer and it would the process will always always modified and and it and
1: affects the, the actors as well. To and it that. would
2: affect the actors. Right. And and Gael was like acting all the time, you know. Yes. And and his posture and and he would work so hard to have this eye like a little bit like half blink, you know, like, and the other one super open all the time. And and and, <laughs> and we had so much fun doing it. And 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 also because we were dealing. With, uh, materials and like, and things that come from our region, our countries that are, are very right. important for us. Right. And, and this, <coughs> it feels playful and it is, but it, it's, it's very deep and important for us because our countries, um, and I don't know if there's, uh, people from Mexico here, but, uh, I'm thinking on Octavio Paz and people like that. And our countries are, like any other country has been described and shaped by historians and people that are journalists, people and writers, people who wrote our history. Uh, but I think the real the people that actually has, has shape our identity and describe it on time are poets. Like our poets are so, so important to us. And I'm not thinking only in Pablo Neruda, but also in Gabriela Mistral and Nicanor Parra and a bunch of them that some of them are still alive and working and writing. So we understand reality and memory and pass through our poets. Hmm. So this movie, it's very meaningful for us in in many levels.
1: Well, just a note about craft. Um, We've had a lot of directors here, but (coughs) Pablo was one of the few who came early to do a sound check and it was so gratifying to me because that attention to craft and to detail is 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 very important for us as directors, you know, and the fact that that you talk about hand painting the the, the backgrounds, just you know, in in America there was a showman named Florence Ziegfeld, you know, Ziegfeld Follies. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. He he had these beautiful showgirls, you know, it was very. He had these beautiful women with these long legs who would do a show, of course, but he made them <coughs> where, This is a complete detour, excuse me, but I just have to mention. He made them wear silk underpants. He could have had cotton underpants, but they had to wear silk underwear because he said women who wore silk underwear walked differently from people I didn't know that. Well, (laughs) you ought to put on a pair of silk underpants and you'll see. You
2: never stop (laughs) learning, you know?
1: (laughs) But uh, I love that story because that's what we... That's why we're here, making movies, because of that you kind said of said silk, thing. right? I said okay. silk. Well, of course, he has a, that's a whole other question. <laughs> he has a silk suit made, <laughs> oh my God, that was an amazing thing. Okay, getting back on track. Um, <laughs> I just had to tell him that because I thought he'd appreciate it. Um, there's also a subtle discussion throughout the film about the role of the artist. And you have one of the great scenes, for me anyway, uh, with the transvestite singer who, um, who talks about how the artist inspires and can you just first talk about how you worked with that actor was he really an actor or was he a real because it it was just so compelling his performance so just a bit because of course we're all directors we want to hear how other directors work with actors but that scene in particular struck me so powerfully. So can you talk a little bit about but how you
2: work know, You know, as with him? directors, we all know that there's nothing better when somebody asks that question. Because it means that he works so well. Of course, he's a great actor. And he's an actor... I don't know if you've seen a movie I did called The Club, and he's the main character in that film.
1: I didn't recognize him. You're yeah. kidding. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's
2: the guy that shows up outside of the house. You're kidding. The victim, the yeah.
1: This That film, again... It, let me just... Can I just detour a second? Because... <laughs> The film is about uh, Catholic uh, priests who have been uh, d- who have done bad things to people in their parish, young people, and a boy in particular who grows up and now shows up, and howls, describes in vivid, graphic detail what was done to him. That was him. I'm yeah. shocked. That's an amazing. Okay, so how did you work with him in this particular film because he's clearly. Well, you know,
2: he's like uh, I. When I think of him, I if I think if I could bring it into somebody that I admired and is the only people, the only person that I cried extensively when he died, who is Philip Seymour Hoffman, that I never met. I mean, once I shake hands, but I never like really met him. And I guess it's that type of actor. It's someone who just has that incredible energy and powerful and beauty and and truth that you just can't. And and I yeah. I met uh, uh, Pedro Almodovar, oh. who who you know was very uh, I don't know he was very generous and he was very moved by the film and we talk about <clears throat> this scene and the yeah. character. Yeah and and it was it was interesting because it's, it feels that that character has uh, something that is very important to Giles' character right because it's the kind of type it's the type of character that in, on a structure of film it could it could feel that it's just somebody that it's just doing like a nice job at, at some point of the film but in the structure of the film right. it's someone who just provokes the desire right. On Gail's character, right. Right. so it's a it's a, like a hiding key on the film. Exactly, right. So it's someone who just apparently is just another sort of part of the journey uh, of, of Neruda's chara- uh, character right. Right. and and also of Giles' character, the Plutonio. But at some point when he says to him, "Sorry, my words, but that's what he says," is like you, fucker, you will never get what you know, what an artist. Right, you dog. And then we have this cut to Gael and it's like a track in to him, to his face. And he's just like, so like, whoa, you know? And that's challenging for him. And to me, it's like a key moment when he right. decides to go after all the way right. to, to his own creator.
1: Right, and then the, the lines that the singer says to him are repeated in the end. In Gaël's uh, voiceover, am I wrong in that he's? He yeah,
2: well, things. that's one of the most famous poems from Neruda. Oh, <laughs> I can, yes, uh, he touched the, me.
1: I, he's he. We became one. I want to sleep in his bed. Or no, something it's like it's that.
2: called. Uh, it's it's funny. It's something that Neruda wrote when he was twenty years old. Yeah, and it's uh, it's the love poems, and it's called it's. Uh, the the book is called Twenty uh, Love Poems and One Desesperate Song, and that poem, which is I can write the, the saddest line tonight, it's uh, oh, one of the you know the, the most right? well known. So it's it's what he asked him to to say. to say. And when Luis Nieco, the actor that plays Neruda, was saying it to him, uh, <laughs> Roberto, who plays the the transvesty or just kissed him, and yeah. and it I, I never asked for that. That um, was
1: an improv
2: Oh yeah, from him. That's and then, funny. what if you if you see that you get to see the movie again, you will see that he kissed him, and then Luis, the actor, is just in shock. You know, it's like I just been kissed by Roberto. You know, it's like, and he just kissed him, and then so we kept the shot as long mm-hmm. as we could because mm-hmm. like the face and, and he's so shocked and. So I figured it would be like that if it he does it to you, you know? Yeah. And so, and <clears throat> yeah, it was like, and Roberto's like that. Is someone who's super wild and, and, and is the type of actor that one, he's connected with it. You you know as a director that you have to give him space. Let him go, right? Yeah, right. So right. Let him play, yeah.
1: Well, um, okay, that scene again, I, I'm so glad you said what you said, that it's, it's such a key scene I wrote. And the scene is key because the first singer... At first, the singer's afraid to say, he did. He says, I didn't know he was a communist. He tries to say, no, no, we didn't have any connection. And then, the more he talks, he slowly begins to confess his admiration for Neruda, and that they sang together, and they, he touched, they touched each other, they were equal. So art makes him brave, it seemed to me, in that scene.
2: But and I, I have to tell you something, sorry to interrupt, but... <coughs> There's a scene that we took out oh, yeah. that it was a uh, scene be- in between uh, Neruda and, and him oh, before sorry. the cup. And that scene is when they talk and a lot of things happens. And so we took it out and it was much better because it sounds like Roberto is like setting up a story for the cup and now in the film, but it was really, it it had that, it's the kind of things that happen in the the editing room, that you just take out something, and then you connect these two dots, and the meaning would just change in an an unexpected way, and it was just much better without it, yeah.
1: Well, my question was, um, this confession seems to be an act of political defiance, so what I wanted to ask you was, could you talk about, why this political defiance is so important to you in your own art, in your own work?
2: Well, I think it's, <clears throat> what's what's going on It's like, um, I I don't know, I made seven movies and five of them a period, so it's annoying <laughs> that you can just grab the camera and go to the street, but but there's something that it keeps c- sort of capturing in my imagination and my interest in, in cinema and politics is the fact that it's very hard to go back then from today and try to to wear those shoes and think what they thought and the way they did is that modernistic world, we have to remember that this is right after Second World War. Communist, communism <clears throat> was a real option. More than half of this planet was communist. The Cold War was just, just starting. This is 10 years before the Cuban Revolution. I would keep talking about this with Gael. Gael did motorcycle <coughs> motorcycle diaries. Remember that film, and it's when Che Guevara and his friends would go all over Latin America on a motorcycle. When they were doing that, this movie or this this the stories, the same was happening. It's the same year, and so the world was being, especially Latin America, was being reshaped, mm-hmm. and. And we have the advantage of time. We can be naive and sort of deny that we know what happened, and we know when the the, the what what happened in Cuba. We know what happened in Chile, in Mexico, in Latin America. We know when the the wall fell down in 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 Berlin. We know how this country helped to through the CIA to make the queue happen, and then to help Pinochet. To you know, to go out, we I made a movie called Know about it, <laughs> and so it's like w- how the world's been sort of changing, and we know that, and we can't ignore it, and and I think there's a lot of uh, beauty, and and I think it's very interesting to me to sort of dig w- in in those subjects, knowing what we know, and 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 assuming that we have that information and try to understand them. And especially when you're dealing with someone who is a poet, and who is someone who would be a very weird and weird person if nowadays he would be active. Because, for instance, the book that he wrote while escaping, El Canto General, the general song, this is the one that we see, which is by many experts um, for sure the one that gave him the Nobel Prize. It's a, it's a, it's a book full of poems out of rage and fury that he would wrote to uh, politicians that they were back then active. So can you imagine somebody like Bob Dylan writing a poem against a candidate that will be elected next week in this country or supporting one or the other one? It would be impossible to think that somebody could seriously do that. These guys were doing that they were writing poetry that would have a political meaning and it would have like an intention to change the reader's political perspective. They wanted to change the world through their art. And I don't know if that's possible to do nowadays, but I do believe that making a movie about it, it makes a lot of sense and I think it's very beautiful.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And whether we can do that here, of course, is a big question that many of us have. Um, Okay. Um, the ar- uh, art or longing for art also seems key to de- de- the detective's definition of himself, and as and that scene does seem to be the trigger for that. When uh, the, the the detective hears what the singer has to say, it's exactly what you were saying before that you realize something's starting in his head. Yeah. Um, so many political tyrants seem to want to own whatever the mystery of art is. And the Nazis, for instance, wanted to have all of Europe's art. Why do you think that longing for art, even for political murderers, is so
2: strong? Because I think what powerful tyrants and sometimes just like powerful rich people, they want to capture what they don't understand. And they want to steal and own something that they will never be able to, not just to do, but basically to understand and to share. And and yeah, I I I live in a country that had one of those guys for seventeen years in power, and they just made everything possible to destroy what they wouldn't understand. And and that's the logic. And it's like yeah, the, there's some people who thinks countries are like companies and. And we are not companies, we are just societies and we can not be run by businessmen, so we Uh-oh. need people. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Okay, we could, we could stay here till two in the morning talking about that, I would love to, but these workers have to get paid. Um, okay, another fascinating idea you play with in the film is the connection between the hunter and the hunted, like Victor Hugo did with Jean Valjean and Javert and La, Miser- La Miserable. Can you talk about that, How, about that wonderful connection?
2: Well, I think what, what we sort of understood is that Neruda was shaping his own legend by then. I think, like, there's very little stuff that is out there that where you could actually see Neruda talking in public because he would, like, rather not do it. Or when he knew that he was being shot by a film camera or recorded by, with a sound equipment, he would behave like, Very weirdly, it's very incredible the way he spoke and when he was recorded, he would like be like super different.
1: Different how?
2: Like just being super aware that he was being recorded. Like uh, so he would like speak differently like in private. So there's there's no material or any kind of footage where you could actually see him just behaving normally. So it's right. very hard to know how she was in private, even how the way he talked. That, right. That's why we made this joke when she says that just can you do it with a poet voice, you know? Right. Because it seems that every time that he would read something, he would just, you know, be um, sort of kind of performed by him. Right. And we came up with the theory that the movie was released in Chile and it creates some kind of a controversy around it because there's some people who really hate it, the point of view. Because there's people who thought that we were like making a big mistake by saying that Neruda was aware of his own legend and he was like shaping it, and I really believed that he was like that. Right. And but we took it maybe too far for some people, and we sort of create this idea that he would just sort of fictionate his own, you know, the, his own cat, he did his own the own person that was chasing him. Right. Because he wanted to control, as a writer, as a cr- as a creator, right. Right. everything that is around him, and right. so for us, for Guillermo and me and uh, uh, Neruda, is like the big creator, is a little god somehow that would just shape everything that is around him, even the the other characters right. in the same film. So yeah, it's like somehow. Neruda was like sort of building his old legend and what is interesting is that when you do that there's a gap in between the intentions and the result.
1: And you're not in control of it generally.
2: You're not. Mm-hmm. So just and that gap is that like a little black hole and there's a door where you can enter and sort of deal with fiction and try to understand that.
1: Okay. Um here's another one. Couple of more questions, then we'll open it up. At a certain point our sympathy shifts, or at least mine did from Naruto, who is completely self-defined, he knows exactly who he is, he's a bit selfish, he's very confident, we shift to the detective, our sympathy goes towards him, who was illegitimate, he, his mother was a prostitute, he re- doesn't even know who his father is, um, and he is the common man, while Naruto has a white silk tailored suit made for him while he's on the run. What did you have in mind here?
2: Well, <clears throat> you know it's it's uh it's interesting because if you look it from the perspective that Neruda actually wrote everything and create Gaël's character Belushanov, you would understand that he wanted to have a guy who would come from where he comes and would mean what it means, and s- so he didn't create a, a a chaser that it would be somebody that is not the kind of people that he was protecting. And I can tell you that um, actually a month or three weeks before we start uh, shooting and we got into production, I got a call from Gael and said, you know, we should maybe have this guy to be a bastard, the son of a prostitute. That's Gael's idea. Mm -hmm. And then I called Guillermo and said, (coughs) you know, uh, Gael has this idea. Like what do you think you know and he was like it's amazing and then and he got into the script and That's sort it, of yeah. uh reshape it and 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 it was so beautiful and and somehow, I don't know the movie uh, like we had a very strong script, but it was like somehow shaped like that the whole process uh, and I'll give you an example, for example, we shot the police station, it's a school um it's an old school that the, the, like, the location worked for us. But it had a statue of the founder of the school <clears throat> in the middle. Uh-huh. And then I asked the people to just can just remove it and get rid of it because I don't want to see it because we want to, we would plan this shot and we would see it. And the guys came in and said, no, it's like steel and it's like marble. We, we can't move it. It's just here. And they won't allow us to do it. And we, we really insist and they just didn't allow us to do it. And then I called Guillermo and said, we have this tattoo, can we make him his father, you know? And, and we just changed the, the sign and, and put another That's great. plague. That's great. But it's just like, it's just the, pretty much the whole process, not all of it, but a lot of the process was made like that. And and we had like different um, scenes for the snow sequence oh. and we went up to shoot it and and this is not the relevant, you know, we, we had unlimited amount of time. And we had to deal with, uh, and and then a storm came in and we had to, we couldn't shoot. And and I was desesperated. I'm, I'm sure you guys experienced that when you have a team of people and you can just go out and shoot, there's nothing worth for that. I was just crying in the room, you know, in the hotel. It was just, I laugh now as you, but I believe me, back then it was terrible. And, and then just the sun came up and I didn't want to have a, like a hallmark like postcard and like you know because it was just too beautiful and and we waited and then we had the proper conditions and and I we were Guillermo lives in New York and I was just on the phone with him for hours, so reshaping the film because it was not exactly as it's meant to be because there was no storm so he the, he wouldn't be cold he he wouldn't be cold he was not desesperated, so where's the problem and so we had to adjust a tone of things while the movie was being made and and yeah, it's like some kind of a controlled accident
1: Well, those are the best kind yeah. I and mean, if you can figure out how to make the accidents work, it's really exciting I think okay w- one more I think and then we'll open it up um, um, The film also starts to have some meta qualities in other words the idea is who is writing the story who controls the narrative So this is wonderful, is the the protagonist writing it or is the so-called antagonist or secondary character writing it? And then the characters argue about who's the lead and who's not. This kind of playfulness is very, uh, to me is very pleasing to this audience anyway. I can imagine the rest of us liked it. Can you talk about this idea? This is fascinating.
2: Yeah, but it's, I think it's just so, I don't know. We all work with actors, and there's always like a, like a ongoing st- situation in between the who has the main roles, and then you're shooting, <clears throat> and you go and say to an actor, "Just don't say that." and it's like, "What? <laughs> you know, you take a line out of them, and it's just, just, they feel terrible. They're, they're, you know, and 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 there's always like a, s- a struggle on on who's who and who's saying what and And we thought it was just a beautiful motivation for a character that at some point, and especially the way she does it, she's so great. Uh, Mercedes Moran, the actress based Delia, Neruda's wife, that she goes and says, We're all being written, you know, we're just secondary, we're all around him. Just take it, assume it, you know, it's gonna be like that. You can't do anything. And then he goes, Are you fiction? No, I'm not fiction. I'm, I'm eternal, you know, and it's like, so we play with those. Th- once you get into that track, you know, anything you is possible.
1: Going. That's right. It was, it's fabulous. But it's yeah. So
2: cool. But it's beautiful the fact they understand that, that one main character, so Neruda, for instance, is just shaping his own legend. And then Gail's character, it's someone who is trying to understand who he is. Right. So he's in this uh, existentialism, sorry, that works so hard in English, trip, and oh, so- yes, yes. yes. okay. You see, it's hard. It's hard okay, for okay, me too, right. But so, and so he's like trying to discover who he is, and, and at some point, to me, at the end of the film, um, and that's why the reason why I kept the hotel sign, and it's in my room now, and he's like sort of alive. And, he he's and, and He's alive. And he's
1: real. And he has smiled. Yeah. At it. Well, he's in the grave, and then he's out of the grave yeah. smiling. Resurrection. It's yeah, resurrection. Ph- it's phenomenal.
2: And yes, he but he's alive, and he became a real person right. after all this process, and he's been shaped, and now he could just stand on his feet.
1: He has a voice, finally. He has a voice. Yeah. He has humanity, yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. And what's so nice is that Neruda acknowledges that also in the end and when he's in Paris, he does yeah, say that. Yeah, they, they
2: both, they both are redeemed by each other. Right, Yeah, it's wonderful.
1: All right, so a couple of nuts and bolts things and then I'll open it up. Um, the film seems to have like a magenta wash and many of us here know that this often happens when a color film is vinegared, you know, it, it gets old and it turns, uh, the chemicals start to deteriorate and it turns purple, so... Th- there, there was a kind of purplish magenta wash to it. As a matter of fact, a couple of people in the audience said, "You gotta ask him about that." I had meant to anyway. So, can you talk about that? What What is?
2: Yes. Well, first of all, we we shot on digital on red, and we used um, these Soviet lenses uh, from early sixties. They're anamorphic lenses. We shot, I would say, ninety nine percent. I think there's two shots with a fifty, and everything else with a thirty five. Um, yeah. and we used, uh, filters, um, to get that purple sort of look. Yeah. We did sort of work it out a little bit and then in, in, in the color correction, but it was, it, it was shot like that. Right. And for two reasons, because we like the look, like aesthetically, and also because we think that, um, Neruda wrote you know he he lived in the in the sea and most of his work is devoted to blue and 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 the sky and 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 the ocean and also he was a communist so that's like red and blue we had those filters and <laughs> and 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 we yeah it's like uh, and and also I don't know it's just it's hard, it's just felt right. And but it's a
1: mood that's created also. Yeah, and yeah. are at, at night. struggling
2: yeah. with, uh, with, with, with the problems that digital era has. And I don't know if it happens to you, but sometimes you go to a film festival and you sit in the opening ceremony and they show this showreel with all the films that are in the, in, in the festival. And at some point they really look like each other. And, and it is so we struggle so much to find an identity right. and to find a look that it would belong to that film that would sort of refer to the period, right. would help in that, would connect to his poetry through the colors, you know, that we wanted, but somehow to find identity. And, and, and I guess that's part of the issue nowadays with... with with movie making, I would like to say filmmaking, but it's movie making now. And 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 it's uh, when when you make a movie on film, that 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 film is going to be processed with 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 qu- chemicals and and we will, will use water, and that water will come from whatever you're doing the process, um, and that's why I remember when I was. Growing up, and I would see, I would go to the cinema. I would kind of feel when a movie was American, and even from the East or the West Coast. And at some point, the Germans would look specifically like that, and French. That we all had a look a little bit Latin American cinema. Now all the, those sensors are made in pretty much with the same technology, and somewhere in the world, so w- all the cameras will deliver a very similar look. Right. And that's very dangerous, yeah. in my opinion, well, that presume? all our movies look yeah, like the same. And so what we do is just to put a, a, a lens that the camera would that's not recognize because this is from another era and technology. Right. Right. And right. you just put filters and then you put, you know, when you put a like a control monitor to the camera, so it would tell you if everything is fine. We would do it with this and it would just be like this, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and we would look at each other just, we're right. You know, just, we're doing yeah.
1: That's wonderful. Uh, when digital digital has done some damage to that uniqueness also, because they th- it does sort of um, make everything feel the same, I, to me anyway, the digital, digital, rather than shooting on 35 or even 16. Okay, one more nuts and bolts thing. Um, and this has to do with the editing of a scene. You would have a scene, a two people scene generally, and you would jump from one location to the other, which we do too, of course. But what you do is you bring them back to the first location, then you put them in a the fifth location, Then you you really do make it cubist, a cubist editing s- scheme. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like th- Well, wh- that's the hiding
2: key of the film, is Picasso.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh, okay.
2: Yeah, he, Picasso, he actually did what he did. He so you
1: did a cubist editing plan because of Picasso?
2: It's very connected. I it mean, is connected, but yeah. I'm like...
1: I didn't even think of that. That's amazing.
2: Well, the, the cubism was sort of the main guy and main artist behind that is Picasso. Yeah. And, and then what happens is that it's what, what the two things. One thing is that if you do that and then just the characters just having this conversation and then just the place and the background and the location would just change because of no reason and the, the character would just keep talking. Um, the space instead of just having like a narrative uh um meaning it would have like a a psychological meaning right. if it you just does. switch and switch it and switch does. and then it's more like in a it's a psychological tool more than a narrative one right. and and I, we really enjoy that and it makes you feel that we're c- going back to the to the Excellent. and it's not like that let me tell you There are 17 scenes in the film that now that are shot in three or more, up to five locations. And only two times we go back to one of them. All the other ones, it's just chronologic. We don't go back to any of the previous ones.
1: You don't go back to the beginning of where the scene was begun to be shot? Yeah, just two times. Okay.
2: At okay. the beginning of the film, right. and then when girls go and see Delia, and right. that's a math, so we just go back in and out. But all of the other ones, it's just, just one after the, the, right. the other one, and the other one. Because if you do it, it's very confusing, and, and there's a limit for it, but, but yeah, yeah, and, and it's this cubist thing that you could, I don't know if you ever seen, uh, Guernica, the, the, in, sure. in person in Reina Sofia in Spain. If you, if you get close to it, you could see all these little ideas, they're just separated, and, and apparently they're not related to the draw that is next to it, and not related to the next to it, and you get far from it, and you can get to right. see right. The, whole. the whole thing, and yeah. it really means something, and that's what we try to do, just work in like little ideas, and then just put them together and see what it feels like.
1: Well, y- your answers are the answer of a, of a true director, uh, it's just, Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I I highly recommend that you see Jackie, especially this week, considering what's going to be happening a week from tonight. It it really a week from tonight is our election. Yeah. yeah. Seven days. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. And
2: I'm going to be on a plane. So yeah,
1: being seeing those images again and being reminded, it was what over forty years ago. Yeah. It. It's very powerful, and, of course, as a, the directing is magnificent, but that topic in particular is very important for us. So I highly recommend, of course, it's brilliantly directed.
2: Yeah, I highly recommend you go and vote as well.
1: <laughs> oh, and vote. Oh, yeah. my God, yes. Yeah. So thank you so
0: much. Yes, thanks for really
2: having really me nice. here. Okay. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. Check out past episodes of the podcast by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at dga.org podcast. We'll have a lot more episodes coming your way over the next several weeks, so stay tuned. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.